Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Lizzo Wellbeing Show. Now, if you are new to the series, come on in. This is your weekly fix of great chat with leading medics, researchers, and campaigners, all working in the world of well-being to bring you wellness wisdom you can trust. And big thanks to regular listeners, Rachel and Joe, who've been in touch to say how much they are enjoying the podcast. They tell me they listen every week. Thank you. I hope you are settled comfortably for another great edition. And a special mention also to Fab122, who after downloading our recent episode about wellness spas and warm and cold water therapy with Hans Peter Veit, say they are now cold showering. Only it has to be said from their knees to their feet every day, but that's a start, isn't it? And they say, quote, it's lovely. Yes, I know. I too have been turning down the temperature on my shower to very, very cold. Just for the last 30 or 40 seconds or so of my morning shower, I start from my feet and I work up. Feels like agony at the time, but boy, the endorphin rush afterwards is simply outstanding. Try it. Really sets you up for the day ahead. Well, if you would like to get in touch about the podcast, you will find me on social media at Liz Earl Me. And do please leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform because it really does help other people find us and maybe then lead them to getting the expert help they need. Okay, so on to today's episode. And last time on this show, we spoke to Anna Martha about her advice for new mums. Well, this podcast is all about being an older parent. Celia Dodd is a journalist and author who has written about retirement and the empty nest. But her new book, All Grown Up, is on a topic that I've not seen covered very often. And that's because it's a guide to nurturing lasting relationships with your adult children. Celia, welcome. It's great to have you here on the podcast to talk about this. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. (laughs) Thank you. No, I I think I mentioned to you when we first spoke that we get sent a lot of books, as you imagine, in the Wellbeing Studios. And I remember walking in and, and picking this up and it immediately resonated. And I thought, my goodness, this is a fascinating topic. I've not seen it written 
quite like this before, and I think it would make a fantastic discussion. So thank you very much for being here. Oh, thank you, Liz. Let's go back to the beginning. You're a journalist of over 30 years standing, writing about a range of subjects. But recently, you've really focused, haven't you, on later life? Yes, I have. Um, I think what I'm really interested in is transitions, that the big transitions in life that people have to go through, whether it's retirement, which is you know a huge transition from work to a completely new kind of life, or the emptiness when your children leave home. So I'm really interested in how people negotiate those big changes. And I really love talking to people about how they've sorted things out for themselves, how they've, they've worked their way through these, these phases. It's interesting, isn't it? It's uh, so often as we move through life, we are presented with a whole new set of challenges and different situations which don't come with a manual. I mean, nobody taught us how we could parent an adult child. And yet, if you have children, hopefully that's going to be an inevitability. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's going to last a very long time. We could be together for as long as sort of 70 years on the planet. And as you say, there's an awful lot of advice for younger families, but there really isn't much advice or support for when when you've got grown-up children. And you know, I think there are an awful lot of uh, issues that people face that they feel a bit at sea at. In fact, I think parenting is a slightly odd word for when children are grown up. It, it's not exactly parenting anymore. You're much more hands off, but you still have a very powerful um, and perhaps even stronger connection with them. And as I say, at last, and it goes through all these changes and we have crises in each of our lives. Kids have crises in their lives. Parents have crises in their lives and they have repercussions in each other's lives. So there's an awful lot to deal with. And and yet I think the only places you see clues are, are things like succession on the telly, you know, um, and uh, I suppose the Kardashians, real life things. I think people are really looking for clues. EastEnders is obviously a great example too. We're looking for clues as to how to find our way through these um, these kind of everyday situations as well as more bigger crises. I think it's really interesting that you pick up on a couple of kind of extreme TV shows. I have to say I was totally addicted to Succession. Yes, and me too. I think if if there is an example of an extreme dysfunctional relationship yes. with adult children, yes. <laughs> look yes. no further. Yes, yes. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that people should um, should learn from from, uh, from yes. them, but it's just that I think that's part of the fascination. I think mm. you know, I, it's not that we're learning from them, but that we're kind of fascinated by them. Absolutely. Now you are a mum of three, yes. all in their thirties, I yes. gather, and yeah. they've all left home. You're a, a grandma to four. Yes, I have one in her thirties, one who will soon be in his thirties, and I think it's right that you mention the issues of parenting because you are still a parent, but you, mm. I, I think I'm, I'm closer perhaps to my children now, and the issues are still there. They don't go away. In fact, if anything, they just seem to get mm. bigger and more important. Yes, I totally agree. And I think, um, I mean, I certainly feel closer to my children now that they're in their 30s. But I think particularly when they were in their 20s, there were an awful lot of issues to do with how, how much I should support them, how much I should let go, 
whether I should interfere, you know, whether I should stand back, all those kind of things. And quite a lot of ambivalence to do with, you know, wanting to get on with my own life, my own new direction. I'd been a pretty full-on parent for well over 20 years. And I, I really wanted to carry on with my own stuff. But at the same time, you know, you really want to help your children. You really want to support them. And if they need you, you want to, to give things up and help them. But there's always this kind of, I think, slight conflict. And, and a lot of parents I spoke to talked about this ambivalence that you feel. You feel a bit torn in different directions. So it obviously goes on. And I think actually it gets more complicated the older they get. That's, that's my feeling about it anyway. I think you're right. And I think the landscape is different today. Mm. I remember leaving home, going and living in New York when I was 18. And I think I, I was there for about a year. I probably wrote three letters, mm. maybe. We didn't phone call because it was too expensive. I maybe, you know, called on the birthday. But that was it. Whereas now there's a family WhatsApp group and it's, did you get home safely? Are mm. you doing this? Have you checked that? You know, make sure that you, you know, don't forget to do this. Do you think we're actually doing our older children a disservice by perhaps not letting them be independent adults? Yes, to some extent, I, I do think we are. And I think we're doing ourselves a disservice as well, more to the point, you know, not allowing ourselves to kind of move on and actually treat the relationship in a more adult way, because I think it makes you much more anxious if you're able to continually check what your child's doing, have they got home safely mm -hmm. and all of that. And if you are so involved, I mean, I think it kind of is very tempting to, to carry on being more having more control over their lives than perhaps is healthy. Mm. And that actually we really, it's really tough to back off, but I think we need to stand back and, I'm, I'm really shaking when I even say this, you know, we've got to let them mm -hmm. make their own mistakes. And that's quite frightening. You know, now, actually, I, I think for many families, the connection is closer in a very good way. Yeah. So I think things have improved in lots of ways. I think in lots of ways we're closer and that's really nice. And that sort of mutual support we have is a really wonderful thing. Mm. Completely. I celebrated a birthday recently and I had a rare gathering of most of my children, all but bar one who Aww. lives abroad. And having them all together and opening up about a few difficulties that I've been going through and not wanting to burden them, but mm. being able to get the benefit of their advice and their take on things. And as you say, the landscape is, you know, very different. It's, mm. It is a, a changing relationship. Mm. Do you think it's because there is so little guidance and conversation around this that prompted you to write the book in the first place? Oh, definitely. Because I, I kept um, talking to parents, you know, after the Empty Nest book was published, you know, people would say, well, yes, the Empty Nest was difficult, but I had no idea how hard the next phase was going to be and how um, adaptable and flexible I was going to have to be. And some people said, you know, it was much, much harder than the next stage of the relationship. For example, when child gets married or finds a long-term partner, because obviously that moves the relationship onto a whole new stage. It's a whole new ball game then. That's really a potential minefield, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I'm very lucky with my son-in-law. I think he's fantastic. I adore him. Mm. Uh, and he's very good for my daughter, and I can see that. But actually, it was not always so, because no. they met very young mm. in their teens and wanted to run off and get married while they were both still at uni. 
And wow. I just put my foot down and said, no way. I think because I, my first husband I married when I was very young, I was only 18 and it fell apart. So I didn't want my daughter to kind of, as I saw it, make the same mistake that I did. And actually they did delay, but it was really hard. We probably had about 18 months of an incredibly rocky relationship. Yeah. And she didn't want to go against my wishes. I felt that I didn't want to be too controlling, but I felt very strongly about it. She knew in her heart that it was the right thing. And in the end, you know, it all worked out well. In the end, I think she was 22 when they did get married, which is still young, but, you know, kind of better than 18. But now we are closer than ever. So we have come through it. So I think it is about keeping communication Mm. open. Would you say that's a real key thing with new relationships that come into the family? Absolutely. I think it's it's really important. And it's difficult for the new person coming into the family. And I think as parents, we have to remember that, you know, it's easy to think, oh, I'm not sure about this person. But actually, it's really hard for some for a young person joining a family or, or being introduced to, you know, to the parents and so on. So I think you have to um, yeah, and you have to keep communication open as in as many ways as you can, not necessarily just verbal, but by doing things together, mm-hmm. by having family gatherings, by, you know, going for walks, all these different kinds of ways that you can communicate, which can be really helpful if, if people are shy and, and particularly communicating with your kids and not being automatically, you know, disapproving or jumping to mm-hmm. conclusions or, you know, making them go on the defensive. I think, yeah, keeping the dialogue open always is is really, really important. How did you go about writing the book? You know, did you speak to lots of other parents? Did you speak to experts in, in this whole area? Where, where, where did you draw the knowledge from? Well, my starting point was um, talking to other parents, uh, but also talking to adult children, um, both in their 20s and 30s and 40s, seeing it from their point of view, because of course we're all adult children as well well I'm not anymore because my mother died 15 years ago but you know we still have very strong experience of being an adult child ourselves Mm -hmm. so it's a sort of two-way thing then I talked to loads of experts in the field really rooted down to try and find the people who are writing about this kind of thing and doing research into it so and a lot of family therapists and couple therapists and psychologists so they've all you know who'd all have fantastic clinical experience as well as academic experience so the advice really comes from them and from other parents, not from me at all. I've learned I've learned just so much by talking to them. It's interesting that you mention family therapy. Mm. I know several families actually that have gone through that, and I've even considered it in the past, but we we haven't done it as a family. But I guess it's always there as a resource, and mm. that's where everybody is together, isn't it? Every member of the family sits and is guided through a discussion with a specialist family therapist what sort of situations would you say that would be best used for well in fact um the family therapist i spoke to did also just deal with pair one parent and one child quite often or even with just the just the child or just the parent at certain times to sort of sort out particularly knotty problems but there was a family in my book who had quite a difficult situation they just had the daughter had brought up a grievance with her mum So they did have a sort of family sit down with a therapist to kind of iron this out. And it was just one of those things where both sides felt very, very aggrieved, I suppose, and and very misunderstood. I think that's Mm. the thing. And that talking to somebody objectively 
could really help allowing each person to talk and most importantly to listen. I think that's what I, you know, I learned. it's such an obvious thing, this idea of listening, but that's what fa- family therapists in the book said over and over again. You've just got to listen, but listen properly to what the other mm. person's saying and allow them space to speak, you know, before rushing and saying, oh, in my day or when I was your age <laughs> or any of those terrible things that we can't help saying. You really listen. I actually have just come back from a wellness retreat in in Turkey, and they had various psychotherapy speakers and some really fascinating workshops. And one of the ones that I went to was all about listening, and they mm. gave us this little task to do. And we didn't know anybody in the room. We were all there individually, strangers. You had to pair up with somebody. Uh, you took it in turns, and one person voiced an issue, something that was on their mind or something that they wanted to talk about. Mm. And the other person had to do nothing but listen for three minutes Mm. and they set a timer and you weren't allowed to say anything at all. And it was unbelievably hard because your natural instinct is after the first kind of 15 seconds to say, oh, I know, oh my goodness, Mm. the same thing happened to me or, oh, well, you need to go and do this. Mm. And just having that space to listen, I thought, oh my goodness, I am so guilty in my daily life of not listening when people are coming to me, particularly within my family, to talk about issues. Mm. Yes, and I think there's this thing, as parents, we do want to find a solution. You know, if a child's got a problem or an issue, you automatically want to come up, make it better. You want to put your Batman cape on and sort of sort it out. And I think it can be very hard as they get older. And obviously you have to do that when they're teenagers throughout their lives in a way. But as, as they come into adults, you've really sort of got to do that with maybe with gritted teeth and really allow them to build their own confidence that they can work things out for themselves um, mm. and, and sort of stand back. How would you describe a typical relationship then with grown-up children? Oh, I think it's such a great question, that, But I think complicated is the first thing I'd say. Um, Complicated and lasting, you know, uh, and changing all the time. I think it's complicated because you're always their mum or dad and they're always your child. And sometimes they behave like the toddler they used to be. And sometimes (laughs) you behave like the parent of the toddler. You know, it's a very layered relationship within, you know, when I look at my son, I can see the the three-year-old on the beach and I can see the the young teenager sort of slightly stroppy and I can see the young man you know I can see them all Mm. um so I think it's got lots and lots of layers and um I think one of the things is that the balance shifts so that increasingly the relationship is on their terms that's what what one of the academics said to me you know and you have to kind of accept that and accept that your influence is diminishing. And it can be quite irritating and annoying when they, you know, your kids do things that you don't really, you know, you think, well, why are they doing that? Or they disagree with you or, you know, they do, you know, they, they do all kinds of things that kind of make you annoyed. But you really have to accept that because that means you've done a good job in a way because they're their own person, but it doesn't make it any easier. 
I think that's very insightful. And one of the things you say in the book, actually, which really struck me, and I think it's so worth remembering, is that this stage is a slice of family life that will hopefully last much, Mm. much longer than the 20 years or so it takes Mm. to raise a child. You know, it's a whole new chapter and it's a longer lasting one. And therefore, it's not as if your child has left and gone away. It's about this new relationship that perhaps needs a different set of parameters or boundaries. But keep in mind that it will be, you know, two or three times as long, potentially, as as their childhood years. Yes, absolutely. And and that's a, such a wonderful thing. I mean, it, you know, they're, they're so life enhancing. And so, you know, it's such a rich relationship, partly because it, it does keep changing and it does make demands of parents all the time. So... I think that's one of the great things that you've got to keep responding and you can't, I think there are some relationships, you see relationships between some parents and adult children where things have got stuck in the past and the only thing there is to talk about is sort of anecdotes from things, you know, old childhood stories and things like that and people aren't talking about what's going on now for them. The main thing to remember is that it stays alive, you know, and it keeps changing and evolving and, and as long as we can keep alive to that and alert to that then I think it just carries on being really enriching actually and that's one thing that um, when my children left home and when I wrote the empty nest book and I was very sad you know I didn't really appreciate I thought it was the end you know I thought this is the end of everything the end of an era they'll never want to see me again if I'd known then that actually things can get better I would have just felt so much better and I think that break when they left home, when mine went to university, um, was really important to establish our own independence, my independence, their independence. I, I feel very grateful that it then comes back into something a bit closer and, and as you say, long lasting. Indeed. And we are going to pause here for a very quick ad break, but don't go away because when we come back, we are going to be talking all about The Empty Nest, and more. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, welcome back. And as I mentioned earlier, we are going to continue this conversation talking about The Empty Nest. Celia, that was the name of your last book, but is there more to it than that? Yes. And as I said, I wish I'd known at the time there's more to it than that. The Empty Nest is felt to me as if it was much more about me and what was happening to me and my emptiness and the parents that I spoke to, the, the emptiness that they felt and how they dealt with that. I mean, part of it of that book was also about um, forging a, a new kind of relationship with your child while they were away and also when they came back because um, something like two thirds of, of uh, children come back to live at home. So that was very much part of that and, and thinking about the relationship going forward. But um, I think what I've tried to do since then is, is to think much more about how that continues and, and laying the grounding for um, an adult relationship when, you know, at the time of the empty nest, when children are, are coming back home during the holidays or when they come back after if they go to university, if they come back after university, how you lay the groundwork, if you like, for mm. the new, the future relationship. Because nowadays, I mean, young adulthood is a is a big thing now. It's a, you know, there's a whole institute devoted to its study, and it used to be supposed to last till people were 25, but recently they've upped it to 29. Young adulthood sort of goes on, lasts much longer. It's much more of a sort of developmental period, both for parent and child. So in a way, kids need more support. And I think that's absolutely fine. I don't, there's nothing wrong, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think perhaps they always did need support. It's just, it's much more out in the open now. And uh, it's not just financial support, it's, it's emotional support as well. Some of the adult kids I spoke to for the book really appreciated having this, what they called an emotional safety net from their parents when they're going through very turbulent times, trying to find their way in the world, which is really hard. And it's got harder since the pandemic, obviously much harder. Mm. So yeah, I wanted to move it on. But now I've had this wonderful opportunity in this new book to carry on the whole follow through how the relationship carries on developing into your as kids get get older and older and even in their 40s and 50s and even beyond. Mm. Absolutely. Gosh, I had no idea that two thirds of kids leaving home actually return. I mean, talk about the boomerang generation. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's amazing. It and, is amazing. Well, 
quite heartening, I think, for those who, who worry about empty mm. nest syndrome. You talk in the book also about some of the big worries that we might all have. I mean, things mm. like COVID, obviously, environmental destruction, for example. Mm. But also you bring it back to those everyday anxieties. Can you talk about some of those and how might the big and the small things affect us? The everyday anxieties are really, I think, the fundamental one is, are they happy? It's quite hard to know if your child's happy when you're not seeing them every day. You know, are they drinking too much? Are they, um, you know, what if they move to Australia? Are they in the right job? You know, is is their boyfriend or girlfriend right for them? Why haven't they got a boyfriend? That's the other big thing. You know, a lot of people say, you know, well, why they're so fabulous? Why haven't they got one? So you, so for parents, there's all of these anxieties, and it's quite hard to bring up those subjects with an adult child because they're likely to be defensive. They don't want your intrusiveness. So ha- handling that is quite is quite difficult. And I think there's always this worry as, oh, well, what have I said to offend her? There can be a bit of a sense of, uh, you know, you're treading on eggshells sometimes. So I think there's all of, there are all those things. And then there are the big crises that happen in both our lives. Things like um, divorce, either a child divorcing or a parent divorcing, um, which have huge repercussions. One man I spoke to for the book, he, his parents divorced when he was 37. He, he was a therapist himself. And it had an absolutely devastating effect on him. And that really um, introduced me to this, this idea, that, you know, actually, when your parents divorce, doesn't matter how old you are, it still affects you. Um, there was one woman in my book who, who was divorced, I think, in her early 30s, and her parents completely rallied around, and she'd seen them as being rather disapproving of her before. And she said it, the whole thing brought them so much closer. She said she was much closer to them than they were to her sister, or her sister felt to, to her, their parents, because her sister had never needed her parents in the same way. So I think it's very interesting that those kind of crises um, if you're together and work together through them, can have a, a long-term mm. impact on the relationship, which which is really positive and wonderful. You can learn so much from it. I think that's very encouraging that there can definitely be an outcome for good mm. with bad news that mm. does need supporting. Mm. And also interesting that grown-up children are so affected or can be so affected by divorce because so often I think you hear Couples who are unhappy will say or have tended to say in the past, well, we'll stay together for the sake of the children. But actually, if you realise that children are going to be affected at any age, that perhaps puts things in a slightly different light. Mm. Yes, I mean, obviously, no one would suggest that couples should stay together for that reason because of the children. But I think it's very important to take into consideration that the children will be affected um, and to you know, to sort of include include them in, in the ways that are appropriate um, mm. or to understand. I mean, the first step is just to acknowledge that they are going to be affected. Because I think quite yes. often, obviously, when you're in the thick of a divorce, you haven't got the bandwidth really to think about anybody else apart from yourself. Mm. And perhaps it's not till later that you, you know, that you're able to then revisit it and think about it and, and talk to your adult child about it. But I think just being aware is is the first step. 
That is really interesting. I know from my own experience of going through a divorce not that long ago, and also friends, you're so caught up in what's going on in your life as an individual. Mm. And, you know, my older children were very supportive and rallied around. But, you know, I don't think at any point I asked them how they felt about my divorce. You know, they they were, I think, responding to me and my needs but of course, they were impacted too. And, you know, as it happens, we've got a very healthy relationship with their father and, and stepfather. So that's, that, that is a good thing, but it, it could perhaps not have been like that. And I think I could have been more aware. I, I should have read your book a little bit earlier, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> There's a wonderful film actually called Hope Gap, which was released a couple of years ago, sort of in the middle of the pandemic, which is about that subject. And I think that provides lots of, you know, it's, it's lots of food for thought. And how has your relationship then changed with your children over time? Well, I'd like to say, I hope they would agree that it's got closer as they've, you know, moved into adulthood. I think when they first left home, they went as far to the, as far as they could go to get away from me, I think. They went to opposite ends of the country. And indeed, my son went to LA to study. But then, you know, they came back and in their early 20s, I didn't see that much of them. And that was a bit sad, but I just sort of got on with things. But now we really are, I would say, much closer. We talk about the stuff that really matters. I think, you know, you hear some parents say, oh, I talk to my daughter every day on the phone or something. And I, I always have a bit of a pang when I hear people say that. I'm not like that with my kids, but I do feel that we can talk about the stuff that matters and um, that we can connect emotionally when we need to. And uh, I have to say that my sons having partners has, has, has sort of helped that in a way because they've just uh, made, made things perhaps a bit easier. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, certainly they're, they're the ones that instigate sort of family gatherings and things now. I don't have to force <laughs> it, which is a real joy. You know, they even want to go yes. on holiday with us, which I cannot believe. I never thought oh. that would happen because um, I'm afraid I, I didn't really want to go on holiday with my parents much. I think that's really encouraging. And, you know, as you say in your writing, it can be tricky, though, that the, with the older children, it's a constant tug, perhaps, on how much to support, you know, mm. how much to be there. And you make a very interesting point. You know, how do you have an adult relationship with somebody <laughs> when you used to change their nappy? Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got this evolving person, mm. um, but a lot of the memories and attachments and patterns of behavior are still linked very much to, you know, small childhood. Yes. And I think I think one thing I, I've learned is to try and shake off the labels that I have for my children, like, you know, oh, the messy one or oh, the very studious one or whatever. And just look at the evidence there is for that now, you know, because they're not messy anymore. And it would be terrible if I carry, you know, if you carry on with these old labels, they're not really very helpful. And, and they're different people in in. In, in the world. And it's really, I think, helpful to see them in a, new, a completely new light in a way. But what if there are things that we really don't approve of in our adult children? Mm. Well, I think it depends what it is. I think you have to accept that there are going to be a lot of things that you don't approve of. If they're really terrible things, then I think you have to have a word. You have to talk to them about it and choose your moment and think about what you're going to say and say it sensitively and kindly. But I think on the whole, there are, you know, there are loads of things you disapprove of that are just the way it is because they're different people. They're not you. They're not your clones. 
Of course, we want them to agree with us and like the things that we do, but they're not going to because, you know, if you've done a good job, they're their, they're their own individual person putting their own stamp on the world. And I think I read read some research somewhere that, that said that, you know, the inter- the generations are, it's a bit like you're they're climbing on your shoulders in a way that um, they're actually not as different. They, if If children seem to be very, very, rebellious or very opposed to what you do they're quite often aren't they're quite often if you look more closely actually following you but finding their own way i think it's always worth a second look and and not just jumping to conclusions (laughs) very much so you are now a grandma what is that like and how have you found that that's changed your relationship with your kids if indeed it has it's changed it hugely i mean it was completely mind-boggling to see my son uh, with his newborn baby. I mean, just unbelievable that somebody who was a a baby themselves about two minutes ago (laughs) and now (laughs) has a baby is sort of how did that happen and really wonderful and uh, very proud to see both my sons being really um, involved parents. But at the same time, I mean, everybody always says, oh, it's so marvellous, so wonderful being a grandparent. But actually... You, you have mixed feelings because you know that your child's going to have to go through all of the difficulties of being a parent. <laughs> you know what they've got ahead. You know they're going to have to go to A&E and they're going to have to have mm-hmm. agony about schools and agony about friends. And you know. So although you're absolutely overjoyed and it's the most wonderful, miraculous thing, at the same time, a grandparent with all our wisdom know that you know, there's a hard road ahead as a parent. Yes, no, I've I've definitely heard it said that looking after a few toddlers for a weekend for young people is possibly the best form of contraception. <laughs> yes. And I think, you know, you, you often don't realise quite <laughs> just how exhausting, rewarding, but mm. exhausting um, in definitely equal measures. Now, we love practical advice on this podcast. So is there anything that you can share perhaps now with all of us listening to help us promote a healthy relationship with our grown-up kids, um, or maybe not our kids, but our mm. you know, might have godchildren or nephews and nieces or even young colleagues, I guess, although I guess that's different because they're outside the family. But I think maybe healthy conversations and, and how to go about having them can happen with lots mm. of different relationships within the family. Yes. Do do you have do's and don'ts? I mean, are there more don'ts than do's perhaps here? I think there are quite a lot of don'ts actually come to think of it. I think just don't say in my day or when I was your age. I think and and that that goes back to this idea that you know you really need to think about what it's like to be an adult or young adult now, not what it was like 30 years ago, however many years ago it is, but to to really have real empathy rather than just thinking about yourself, thinking about what it really is like for them. I think, um, you know, if, if you if you do have, well, always, we always have arguments or, or disagreements, minor disagreements maybe, I think really don't assume that you're right. Really question yourselves. I think one of the secrets is to keep questioning yourself and to think, you know, well, is that still right? You know, or maybe they've got, maybe they've got a good point. That's very different from the old sort of dogmatic idea from the of the parent. And I think be open, keep keep learning from them, listening listening to what they say, and be prepared 
to be open and open to the difficulties they face. That's all. It all sounds quite one-sided, and I think you get just as much the support from your children as as you give them. But I think also treat them like an adult. Um, don't talk to them. You do sometimes hear p- people talking to their kids as if they're ki- young children. I think it's very important to treat them with the respect that you would, you know, I think one acid test is think, well, would I talk to a friend like that? You know, would I ask a friend to lay the table in the way that I've just asked my daughter? Um, and the answer might well be no. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think this thing about standing back, which is really agony, giving them space, letting them be themselves. Uh, one really wise um, university counsellor said to me, you know, we all say we want our children to be happy, but we want them to be happy in the way that we would be happy. Um, and the way they would be happy might be very different. And I think we've really got to allow for that and to allow for the fact that our influence is waning. Um, it's there. It's sort of It'll always be there, hopefully, as kind of really good sort of grounding, but that our influence is waning. And, and it's really up to, up to our children to find their happy way. And, and it's agony letting them make their own mistakes. But uh, I think you just have to do it um, apart from in extreme circumstances. And, and as we were talking about, you know, um, listen and pursue your own independence. There was a wonderful... Um, Buddhist monk, I heard a, had a quote from, which was, um, the best gift you can give your child is to be happy yourself. And I think the flip side of adult children's independence and sort of fulfillment in the world is, is ours, you know, is their parents. I think if we can be independent, for a start, it gives you more to talk about. Uh, they don't feel duty bound to visit you and all that kind of thing but but it it just makes the relationship more equal it frees both sides up mm. so you keep the connection going in a way by being more independent which is kind of ironic really i think that is so fantastic i love that buddhist monk quote <laughs> and it just it reminded me actually just before we finish that i've heard it said that you are only as happy as your unhappiest Mm. child. But perhaps we also ought to bear in mind that if we're looking at our children's happiness and fulfilment, perhaps they are only as happy as their unhappiest parent. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So it's in everybody's interest to be as happy and as fulfilled as possible. Celia, where can people find out about the book and about you and your work? Well, um, I've got a website, which is www.celiadodd.co.uk. Um, I'm on Twitter at Celia underscore Dodd. And the book's published by Green Tree, which is um, it's available on Amazon and um, Waterstones and so on. Good so books, it's, it's due out on the 9th of June. <laughs> I wish you lots of luck with it. And thank you very much, Celia, for coming on the podcast today. It's such an important topic for family welfare, family relationships, and one that isn't discussed often enough. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Liz. It's been great talking to you. And that is it for another episode. For more great content, such as parenting advice, as well as tips for living well and plenty of the most delicious recipes that do you good 
as well as taste good. Just head to lizardwellbeing.com. And there you can also sign up for my free weekly jam-packed newsletter. Well, I will be back next week with another great guest. In the meantime, you can, of course, find me on social media at Me and my team also at Wellbeing. And if you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to leave that review. We do so appreciate it. Thank you so much for your company today. Until the next time we chat, go well. Bye-bye. The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, and is a fresh air production with grateful thanks to my producers, Ellie Smith and Chessie Bent. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.